Welcome everyone to the latest Truth and Consequences Zoom chat. Um, today is a little more unfortunately of a somber occasion as we're gonna be talking about gun violence in America, but I'm really thrilled that I'm joined today by Shannon Watts, who's the founder of Moms Demand Action and someone who I have uh, spoken to over the years, I've interviewed um, uh, and have taken, and, and I really come to respect as someone who is an incredible advocate for gun control uh, in this country. And, you know, Shannon, I know you started off doing this um, in 2012, after another incident like we saw in Uvalde, Texas, um, the Sandy Hook, um, and that inspired you to get involved in this, right? And you started a Facebook group. That, that basically how this began for you? Yeah, I was a, you know, a mom of five young, pretty young kids, kind of elementary to high school at the time. And I had taken a five-year break from a, a corporate communications job to blend families. And I was just getting ready, actually, to, to go back into the workforce. And I, you know, was folding laundry uh, in in my bedroom on a very cold day, and saw the breaking news that there was an active shooter in a in a town called Newtown I'd never heard of. And like I'm sure you and everyone else, just sort of sat there for hours watching this tragedy unfold. And the next morning, I was just so angry that I thought, you know, I I want to start a conversation with other people because. I grew up in the 80s and so Mothers Against Drunk Driving was super influential and saw them change the culture. And I thought there's got to be like these, there's got to be badass women who are already working on this issue. And all I could find were DC based think tanks, mostly run by men, and then also like one off state and city organizations, again, mostly run by men. So I wasn't thinking I'm going to start an organization. I mean, I'd never been really that politically active. Uh, I'd never been an organizer, but I, I just started this Facebook page. And in fact, uh, when you don't have a focus group in your kitchen, you know, you call things like one million moms for gun control. Right, right. A whole lot wrong with that name. Um, but it, it was, you, you know, you hear stories about social media being lightning in a bottle. And this was that. Uh, by the time I went to bed that night, my husband looked at me and said, oh, I think our lives are about to change significantly. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it did, right? And I, I think it's interesting that it was, it was Sandy Hook. And I think, you know, one thing I, I I remember from that incident, my daughter, my oldest daughter was just uh, about to turn one when that happened. And I just remember being at a coffee shop and seeing the tweet and I just ran home, literally ran home just to hug my child because I was just, it was such a, a hard thing. And I think these incidents with children, look, you, I've written more pieces on gun violence than I can, than I can remember for years. I was in Las Vegas on the night of the, the shooting, the massacre in Las Vegas, the worst uh, mass shooting in American history. I interviewed survivors. I mean, you obviously have done this for so many years. All of these are tragic, but there is something about children that is so much worse. And I think it leads to this question. We all thought after, after Newtown, this time would be different. This time something would actually happen. And I get this feeling, people keep saying this. I don't wanna say it because I don't wanna be optimistic, but I wonder, is this time this incident in Uvalde, is it different? Does Will it lead to a, a different result than every other mass shooting we've seen since Newtown? Well, I, let's put that in context. Is this time different? Is this the moment? I think what you're referring to specifically is a cathartic moment in Congress and more specifically the Senate, right? That's what we keep waiting for. The Senate we have right now is probably even more conservative than the Senate we had back in 2012 in terms of the, the senators on the, on the Republican side. 
Um, and, and interestingly, what has happened since Sandy Hook in the last decade is that the Democrats have gone the other way on this issue. So, you know, when Sandy Hook happened, close to a quarter of all Democrats in Congress had an A rating from the NRA. Today, none do. So it's a very clear delineation between which side you're on, but also the side that's not on it has bought into really guns as an organizing principle among their base and part of their party platform versus Democrats who realized after Manchin Toomey, right? So if we tell the story of the legislation that almost passed in the wake of Sandy Hook, it, it failed by a few votes in the Senate. There were some Democratic senators who voted with the NRA. They voted against background checks. Not a single one of those senators had their job, you know, five years later. Right. Many of them in the next election cycle, Be because the NRA didn't care that they supported them. They saw Republicans as their future and they went in and, and you know, for example, Mark Pryor, that's what I was just going to mention Mark Pryor is a good example of this. Absolutely. Yeah, so Mark Pryor, you know, we had lots of conversations with him. Don't do this. He did it anyway. And the NRA went in and invested millions in Tom Cotton's campaign. That's right. So the right. lesson that Democrats learned from that was, you know, with friends like the NRA, who needs enemies? Never we can do, you know, we can vote our conscience and vote with our base. And, 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 and frankly, because Moms Demand Action happened and they would have a sea of volunteers where they live in red shirts showing up and supporting them, it changed the dynamic, at least for Democrats. So just to get back to your question, you know, is this the moment? So many people say nothing happened after Sandy Hook right. because that vote didn't happen. But Moms Demand Action, which is larger than the NRA with over 8 million supporters, wouldn't have happened right. without right. that that organizing moment. I, I always am hopeful after a shooting tragedy that the Senate will do its job, that they will be sufficiently shamed into acting with integrity, acting on data, carrying out the will of their constituents. But time after time for 10 years, I have been disappointed. So it can't just be about that moment. It has to be, they want the clock to run out. We have to make sure that clock keeps running all the way through November. You know, it's interesting you point out, it's because someone said to me, uh, just an absolute, you know, hopelessness uh, was, was, was texting me yesterday about this. And I said, look, I know it's hard to have any hope at all, but you have 48 Democrats in the Senate who would get rid of the filibuster to pass a background checks bill. If I, if you had told me 20, year, 20 years ago, me, that that many Democrats would support something like that, I would have said, that's crazy, right? Y your point is really spot on. The shift in the Democratic Party on guns over the last, I don't know, 10 years, 20 years is extraordinary. And, and I think it speaks to why we are, we feel like we're so close to something possibly happening here because you have so many Democrats willing to actually say, no, we're gonna, we're gonna actually support gun control measures. That's a huge shift. That's a huge shift. It is, and, and, and we have to also talk about the progress that we, you know, we didn't just say, oh, it didn't happen in Congress, let's just keep pestering them for a decade. We started doing this work in city councils and in state houses. Uh, in school boards, even in corporate boardrooms, right? And and we're seeing the same kind of polarization that there is in the Senate play out in the states. So where there are states that were either purple or blue, most of those are now solidly pro-gun safety. I mean, Colorado is such an interesting example. I, I lived there for five years um, and I just moved to California recently. But when I moved to Colorado, after Hickenlooper passed gun safety laws in the wake of Aurora, I mean, that there was such a backlash. The NRA recalled two state house members. We couldn't get good legislation passed there for a long time because 
Republicans controlled the Senate. So we had to go in and do that electoral work. When we finally got control back of the Senate, we've since you know passed so many good gun safety laws, including one that's really interesting. 45 states in this country have something called preemption. So when people point fingers at Democratic mayors, what they, they don't mention is that preemption laws, which the NRA helped pass, prevent mayors from making policies that are different from state law. So in Colorado, you could walk up and down the college thoroughfare in Boulder with an AR-15, but not a dog. That's because of preemption. So we rolled back preemption last year in Colorado, and right now Denver is making all kinds of laws about keeping guns out of parks. Right. This, they couldn't do that for years. So, so that work is happening. Yeah, that's something that I, I, look, I remember having this conversation with you a couple of years ago and you making the point to me that actually a lot of things have happened on the state level that are positive. Um, you know, and I've, I had forgotten about this and I, and I read something that reminded me that in Florida, when Rick Scott, who is generally an, an odious figure, but when he was governor, he passed a law, he signed a law establishing, raising the, the um, age from 18 to 21 on uh, purchasing uh, semi-automatic rifles, I believe it is, or long guns and red, a red flag law. That's kind of a big deal, actually, in a state like Florida that feels like the most pro-gun, one of the most pro-gun states in the country. Well, I mean, you know, it, it, that pendulum, I think, is swung back in Florida. When you talk about guns being an organizing principle, I would argue that, that DeSantis certainly has bought into that. He, his priority right now is permitless carry, if you can imagine, in Florida. I, yes. I wrote a piece about that recently. Yes, I remember. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, I think I think that that sometimes you have backlash, but sometimes you just have states that are that are taking a, a side. Um, I, I think when you look at states, they're, they're sort of a Petri dish and, and you can go into states that are pro gun safety and you can pass laws that you can then extrapolate you know the benefits of that and apply them to other states and and that's really what we do a lot of the innovative work we're able to do is here in california particularly in city councils uh, in new york we rolled black back placa in in other words you can now you know sue gun manufacturers there uh, despite federal law and it, we have a whole litigation team. So there's a, there's a, a court strategy as well. I mean, this has so many tentacles as an issue that that what what I find frustrating is that people come into the movement and, and they want sort of overnight change. And, and the system isn't set up that way. It is not set up for like an, a revolution. Yeah, I saw something about this on Twitter earlier. It made me so angry I had to step away. People who say, well, the things that the Congress is debating they're not really going to have a huge effect on gun violence. And I, I think to myself, that's not, this isn't like a Hollywood movie, right? Yep. We're not like, we're not like New Zealand. We're not going to, or Australia, I should say, we're not going to get rid of guns tomorrow. It's not going to happen. And even nope. if you pass all of the things that we talked about passing, you're still going to have people die from gun violence needlessly in America. There's just too many guns, too much part of the culture. It's there. What you want to do, I, I, and tell me if I'm wrong here, is you want to try to reduce this as much as you possibly can by coming up with, with, with ideas and policies that actually have that effect. Is that, is that basically how you would define it? Yeah, I mean, you know, follow the data. Yes. <laughs> I, I, these, these anecdotes about what might have happened in Texas are so absurd, right? It, it, it isn't too many exit doors or not enough exit doors or mental illness or video games or poor parenting or godlessness. When we look at the data, we know that that it's really a host of things. You know, if you go back to vehicle deaths in the 70s, People didn't say, oh, if there's not one 
specific thing that's going to stop these vehicle deaths. We're not going to do anything. They they put rumble strips in. They they improved car technology. They addressed speed limits. Um, we haven't even tried any of that with guns. I mean, l- let's look at the fact that many of these recent mass shooters uh, are young, right? They're anywhere from like 17 to 20 something, very young. And it's pretty easy in most states to get a long gun. And I don't just mean a hunting rifle, I mean a semi-automatic rifle at age 18 with very little effort. And we know that about 18% of all gun homicides are committed by people in the window between 18 and 22, mostly men. And they make up about 4% of the population. So just like, you know, they can't get cigarettes or beer, they shouldn't be able to get an AR-15. You know, I saw people saying, well, laws won't stop people. Really? This kid, when he tur- literally the day he turned 18, he yep. bought an AR-15. Wow. The law it, enabled him. The law enabled him. Exactly. If he was 21 years, if, he, if the law said you can't be 21 to buy a gun, he couldn't have bought this gun. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I, it's, it is, this is sort of the excuses people make over and over again, as opposed to saying, why don't we just pass laws that, that have some, that, that we believe are going to be successful, we believe can work and see what the, the data tells us. Yeah. Uh, you know, let me ask you a question about, about what's happening in the Senate right now. I know, again, it's hard to have any hope. I did see today that Mitch McConnell is instructed, you know, uh, I think it was John Cornyn to negotiate this bill. We'll see if it happens. I'm not holding my breath. There's a few things being discussed. I want to ask you what you think the policies that you think would be the most useful. Um, we're talking about back, universal background checks, red flag, a uh, red flag law. Excuse me, um, assault weapons bans. I think there's something, some discussion about magazine size. What, in your view, is the most effective policy that that the Senate can 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 implement or can enact that will have an effect on gun on gun violence? Well, I mean, it's a diverging conversation, right? There's what will have the most impact and then there's what is the most palatable for a compromise. And both of those things matter. We strongly feel and, and have been advocating for a decade now on the need to extend the background check system that's in place for licensed gun sales to unlicensed gun sales. Millions of guns are sold every year without a background check um, through online sales, through gun shows, through garage sales because people live in states where their lawmakers haven't gone in and closed that loophole. We've done it in about 20 states now. Simultaneously, you have the NRA, which used to support background checks, now saying we want permitless carry, which means you can carry a hidden loaded handgun in public with no background check, no training. They've passed that legislation into law now in 21 states. Right. So background checks is, is an integral foundational part of any gun safety system. When it was interesting, I saw a diagnosis this morning about uh, by by uh, a newspaper that looked at conversations that are happening online by actual leaders and lawmakers. And 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 what they saw was this small glimmer of hope that people may be able to land on red flag laws. (laughs) Red flag laws are now the law of the land in 19 states in this country, states like Indiana. Um, They've been They've been challenged in the courts in four states, all found to be constitutionally sound and include due process. And basically it just allows either family members or police to petition a judge and get a temporary restraining order that removes the guns from someone who's a danger to themselves or others. Right. Pretty, pretty intuitive, right? Yeah. Pretty, yeah. And, and data shows it works not, yeah. yeah. not just mass shootings, but domestic gun violence, gun suicide. Um, it's helpful in a whole host of situations and where we see cities implement them, I mean, you know, 
truly dangerous people are, are being disarmed so that police can go in and say, okay, what's happening here? You know, Lindsey Graham after Parkland sort of led the charge on red flag laws for a few days, maybe a few hours, the NRA supported it. <clears throat> I, I, I would love to see background checks passed. I would love to see a red flag law. The Charleston loophole needs to be closed, which allows a licensed gun dealer to proceed with a gun sale if it hasn't cleared, the background check hasn't cleared within three days. Why doesn't a background check clear? Someone has a complicated criminal history. Yeah, you would think, right, yeah. So th those are sort of the three main things that would be great to have at a federal level. And I mean, but again, I go back to what I said earlier. I mean, no one in the gun control act, act, activist community believes that you're going to eliminate gun violence in this country, right? I mean, I, I think- well, I think sometimes that there's a an unrealistic notion around this because we can't find the perfect law. We shouldn't have any laws. Um, I, I just think, and tell, I mean, I think unfortunately that gun culture in America is so such a part of the culture, especially on the right, that I don't know you can ever limit, truly eliminate gun violence. I think what you can do is you hopefully can can begin to reduce gun violence. I mean, people still die in cars, people still die of smoking, but we've yes. reduced those numbers pretty significantly over the last twenty years. Right. It's, it goes back to this idea of we've tried so many things with other products that can kill people. We haven't even tried trying it with guns, in part because the gun lobby learned so much from those other lobbies. They passed preemption because they learned how those other products got regulated. They passed PLACA, which they're really the only manufacturing industry in the nation that that isn't held accountable for the way they market or create their products or if their products are faulty. Right. This is stuff they learned over decades by watching other special interests get bankrupt or fail or fall out of favor. Um, and, and so you're right. We live in a country with over 400 million guns. What happened over the last two weeks, you know, all the mass shootings we're seeing, it's only going to spike gun sales again. Right. But there are other countries with high rates of gun ownership, nothing like America. But, you know, if you look at Israel or, you know, you look at some countries in Europe, they, they have higher rates of gun ownership than other peer nations. And yet when there's gun violence, they act. You know, there was a shooting when I first started doing this work, a mass shooting in Israel. And overnight, you know, they started to pass different laws around keeping guns securely stored. Um, what we have that no other peer nation has is a gun lobby that's essentially writing our gun laws. Right. That's the thing. I mean, that, that is sort of a crazy thing to say, but I look at Florida as a good example of this. Uh, and at least for years, the gun lobby basically was writing these laws, was basically telling, you know, legislators what to do. And what is, I think, so frustrating about this and what I think gives people such a feeling of powerlessness is that 90% of the country supports background checks. Right. It's a very small segment of the population that is completely opposed to all gun regulation or any regulation. And that 10% controls seemingly an entire political party. I mean, what? how do you explain that? I mean, I have my sort of thoughts on this, but how do you explain how it is such a small segment of the population has such power over this debate? It, it, there, it's complicated. But, but if you go back to when I started doing this work in, in 2012, I think we thought, okay, we are going to dismantle the, the NRA. We're going to do that by exposing their corruption, uh, by weakening their political power. And we did all that, right? They, they tried to declare bankruptcy last year and failed. They, they are hemorrhaging political power uh, dollars. They've been exposed for being corrupt. <laughs> right. And, and what is what we realized and never predicted, I think, is that their that agenda of gun extremism lives on despite the NRA being weaker because it's been co-opted 
by the right wing. I mean, guns are an organizing principle now. Yeah. It's a way to recruit new members. It's a way to fundraise. It's a way to excite the base. And if you look at the legislation that's going through red state houses, yes, it's pro-guns, but it's never without pro or, or anti-trans, anti-abortion, anti-CRT. It's all of a type. And it is this very vocal right wing that makes lawmakers afraid of being primaried, um, that makes them afraid of stepping out of, on a, of the box. But I will also tell you, having spent a lot of time in state houses, there are a lot of lawmakers who believe this rhetoric, who have, really? fully, oh, who really? have fully bought into guns for everyone, everywhere, anytime, no questions asked. And, and I do believe there is, you know, an underlying um, sense of there, there's white supremacy, right? This, there, there is, when you look at the report that came out last week, that one in five Republican lawmakers, about 22% belong to Oath Keepers or Proud Boys or QAnon. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's all. That number seems low to me, actually, to be, I hate to say it. That number seems low to me. Yeah. I would assume to be higher. Uh, but you're right. This stuff has become, guns have become almost totemistic among Republicans. They are a, a cultural signifier. Um, and I, you know, if I hear, I think the thing that really, God, so many things make me angry about guns. I mean, so many things, like, I don't even know where to start. But when I hear Republicans say, Democrats want to take your guns away. I, I want to just, you know, scream because that's not what they're, what they're I mean, I wish they would do that, but they're, they're not trying to do that. They're really not. And this is the rhetoric people use. They use this exaggerated rhetoric to say, well, if we agree to background check, because you can't, buy, can't, you can't ever buy a gun again. Bullshit. If you're a law-abiding individual, you don't have any red flags in your background, you can still purchase a gun. You may have to wait a little while to do it, but you can still purchase a gun. And, but they have, they have really put this notion in people's heads that if you, that as soon as you like, any crack in the dam means the whole dam collapses. If you do anything on guns, you know, that's it. You lose your guns forever. Yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a big part of why there there's such a resistance to admit. I mean, we you know Ted Cruz is is blaming the door, and other lawmakers are blaming mental illness. If they admit, in fact, that this could be easy access to guns, the whole house of cards falls down, right? Right, right, exactly. It has to be something else. I mean, I part of me thinks. Uh, by the way, I just want to say, anybody, if you have any questions, please put them in the chat. I want to make sure to get your, your thoughts here on the on the conversation. So please add anything you have to say. But I, I, I was thinking today about one of the re, the, the sense of powerlessness. I think that's the thing that has has um, I hear from so many people. And part of me feels as though passing something in, in Congress, even if it's not obviously going to end all gun violence in America, just to say to people, we hear you, we understand that you're concerned, and we're, and as nationalists, we're to address this issue. I think would be really rather enormous. I think people have to ha have to feel their government is responsive to them. And right now, there's no reason when it comes to this issue to feel that way. On a, whole, well, on, on a lot of issues, actually, but especially on the guns issue. Especially on guns, but you, you even see lawmakers saying, oh, we need more guns in schools. I mean, you know, the whatever, whatever the story is about what happened with the police in Uvalde, I, I mean, it is truly, I, I am gobsmacked. I do I, not I, understand. I, I have no but if you, you know, one of one of the sheriffs said, you know, our people were afraid of being shot, which I'm pretty sure is part of the job de it's description. It's the job description, literally. But yeah. You don't think that a whole bunch of police officers with, you know, lots of uh, 
military weapons are afraid to go into a school and take on an 18 year old with a death wish. What makes you think a kindergarten teacher is going to do that? Yeah, exactly. Or a retired cop now playing security guard. Like, you know, we know what happened to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in, in Florida when there was a there was a, um, a a mass shooting there, killed 17 kids. Security guard ran and he hid. He didn't want to get killed. Uh, this is not the solution. And and I think that and I think your point is really, really spot on that. You know, I saw something yesterday where somebody said this shooting makes the case for homeschooling. Can you just <laughs> acknowledge that it might be the gun? Can you just, I, I, but your point is right. You can't acknowledge that because once you acknowledge exactly. it, then it's like the, the game is up. I, here's my dream. I would live like a reporter just to stalk the NRA headquarters and ask them over and over again, do you think there should be guns on planes? Because they can't say no. If guns actually make you safer, they make pilots safer. They make passengers safer. Do you think guns should be on planes? That's insane. But I, they can't say no. They can't say no. They can't, right? Because you're right. They can't ever ignore. And it's even striking to me that the NRA convention happening in Houston right now, they're not allowed to bring guns in. I, Every, I find that incomprehensible, actually. You can you can bring them into it. Let's keep in mind, it's not just the annual meeting. It's a huge gun sale. So they're in the wake of this horrific tragedy in Texas. They are selling guns in Houston. And when the leaders speak every single year, it is in a gun free zone because they're afraid of being shot. Of course, <laughs> of, course. of course, that's right. I mean, understandably so. So I guess the thing, I, again, I please, if anybody have any questions, please feel free to, to include them here. The one thing I, I, I want to ask you about, because you've been doing this for a long time, obviously, and I, it cannot be easy to be a gun control advocate in this country, um, especially as a woman. That would be putting it mildly. I, I mean, I can only imagine the, the kind of uh, abuse you have to take by, from people who are, are pro-gun. How do you keep your faith? I mean, and how do you keep at it? I mean, you know, I remember after Las Vegas, and I said, as I, I was in Las Vegas when this happened, and I just remember thinking, this has got to change. 50-something people died, or 70, 60 people died, actually. 800 wounded. This has to change something. And even bump stocks, you couldn't even get those banned in Congress. How do you, and I'm asking this question, not for everybody listening, and for me, who, whenever this thing happens, just wants to tear your hair out. How do you not, you, you have lovely hair. How do you not tear your hair out <laughs> when this happens? You know, I am a full-time volunteer. I have been now for a decade. In fact, you know, I, I'm a donor too. So I, you know, I'm, I'm giving money to the organization and I, I just don't, you know, I don't know what the other option is. I, I have so many people texting me saying like, how do you do this? Don't you feel hopeless? I, what is the other option when children are being slaughtered inside elementary schools? I, I don't think as a parent of five, and, and one of my daughters is a teacher in Indiana. Like, I don't I don't have the the privilege or the luxury of just saying, ah, you know, that's just the way it is in America. I don't think any of us do. Right. And look, if you are part of the 50 percent, that's not much. Right. Only half the country has not been impacted by gun violence in some way. You know, God bless you. But it's is that right? 50 percent. 50 percent. Wow, I didn't realize that. But it is, if you haven't been, you will be. It is coming to your community. And so my plea to people is, you know, don't throw up your hands and kind of be cynical or, or hopeless. Social movements take decades. Yeah. Right. And the NRA had a 30-year head start. Right. 
What we've accomplished in 10 years is nothing less than astounding. And you can go to momsmanaction.org and we show you all our wins, right? How we've changed legislation and, and elections and, and the culture. Find just one little piece of this work that you are passionate about. Maybe it's educating people about secure gun storage. Maybe it's showing up at your state house. Maybe it's putting pressure on the companies where you live to change their policies. Just, just find a piece of the work and decide that you will do it. Because as you said, you know, apathy gets us nowhere. It allows these lawmakers who think that running out the clock is acceptable and okay and that we will all move on. And it it, it just isn't. It isn't. And I, I, I think something else, and I mean I, I hate to put I've written a few pieces over the years. I basically said, like, this is a country we've accepted this reality in this country. And I feel it's a harsh thing to say because most Americans don't accept this. But the reality is that. A lot of Americans who don't who want to see background checks, who want to see better gun control, still vote for politicians who don't share those views and those values. And in a lot of ways, I think you have to be a single issue voter on this on this issue to some extent. Let me give you Virginia as an example. I mean, I was so frustrated after we had, you know, Ralph Northam, who obviously a flawed human being, but but did so much on the issue of guns. I mean, over a dozen good gun laws passed, and and you know, Virginia was. Uh, really the source of crime guns in the iron pipeline. And they have passed so many laws that allow us now to go city by city and change laws and to um, just change the face of Virginia. So what happens in the next election? And, and to be clear, for people who don't know, you can only have one term as a, a governor in Virginia. So you're sort of a lame duck the, the day you start. When you look at the polling data, it was this silver surge. At first, we thought it was white women who wanted to punish their lawmakers for having schools closed during COVID, which there was a piece of that, but it was also this silver surge and a low voter turnout. And, you know, this is someone who wants to force guns into schools, yeah. right? You voted for Northam for this reason, and now you're doing this. I don't understand it. Right. I mean, I think, look, I get that it's hard to get people to, to, to just focus on one issue and they vote, but it feels like until uh, elected officials actually lose elections because of their views on gun policy, you're not going to see real change. Republicans have to be able to feel like this is a liability because right yeah. now they feel like it's not a, li- not a liability. Democrats do. Republicans don't. Right. And I think that's a, that's unfortunately something that's very hard to get across people that this has to become like a single issue. And it hasn't been that way. Um, Mark, it's a good Rose, Rose has a good point here. The challenge is how to mobilize an exhausted majority to force Congress to legislate solutions and issue national security, which you know, gun control, climate change, yeah, it's another good one too. I mean, how do you do that? And I think this, this question I wanted to ask you, I know you have to go soon, but I want to just ask you this. What you, you talked a little bit about what people can do, focused on particularly discrete issues. And by the way, I think gun storage is one of those issues that I wish people talk yes. more about because so many children, and I used to write a lot about this, and I just stopped for a while. There a lot about children who died, and it just I wrote a piece about children who kill their parents, which happened yep. by accident, toddlers. And um, I had to step away for a while because it just, it gives you trauma uh, to try about this stuff. But that, so that's an issue I think people can really focus on. But how, if someone's listening right now and says, I want to think of my community, besides join Moms Demand Action. And by the way, at every campaign I've covered the last six, eight years, uh, when I sort of cover people who are canvassing, Democrats at least, there's always, a few of those red shirts there, always without fail. So, you know, applaud us to you for that. But besides jo- join Moms Demand Action, what can people do at the local level to change the laws and, and to, to lead to, to create, you know, more, more energy around gun control issues? So, we 
Can you hear me? Now you, you, yeah, there you go. I think you're good now. Okay. Um, you know, I, I want to be clear. We're not just moms, you know, we're non-moms, we're students, we're survivors. And uh, the work dads that we're doing. Dads too, I, I hope. I hope. Of course, dads. <laughs> and I love dads in the red shirts, my favorite. Um, but, you know, the, the work, a lot of times the way social issues work is you, you, it's not in Congress where it begins. That's kind of where it ends. Right. You have to go in and build momentum in school boards. So now we've convinced school boards to send materials all across the country home to about 2 million families that explain, you know, if you're a gun owner, keep your guns locked, unloaded, separate from ammunition. As you said, 4.6 million kids live at homes with unsecured guns. 80% of school shooters are students. So that could make a big difference. Um, city councils, you know, we're doing innovative things all across the country. Uh, in San Jose here, the, the mayor acted after the shooting at the, at the railway and passed some really innovative things around requiring gun insurance. And now there are other cities that are trying to do the same thing. You can ban ghost guns in city councils. We've done that in many places. So city councils are really uh, an important way to change policy. Um, state houses too. And, and there are places where you can't play offense. I understand that. Where we can, we do. But defense is a big part of this work. And we have stopped the NRA 90% of the time in state houses for the last six years. And those are bills like permitless carry, um, arming teachers, forcing guns onto college campuses, so-called stand your ground laws, which we call shoot first laws. We can really go in and actually stop bad bills from even passing in the first place. That in itself is life-saving. Right. And we also put pressure on uh, companies to join the coalition and to change either policies in their own outlets, their retails and restaurants, or to to speak up on behalf of stronger gun laws and to oppose them. And you've had some success here, right? Some, some companies, I mean, Walmart, I believe, stopped selling long guns, correct? Yes, and Walmart it has been actually a pretty good actor along the way. Um, right now, they're probably one of the, the most responsible gun dealers in the country. Hmm. They do require background checks. They, they don't sell a gun if a background check isn't cleared after three days. They have cameras. Uh, they no longer sell semi-automatic rifles. They don't allow open carry inside their stores anymore. Like they've been very responsive. I mean, and do, you know, I was talking to somebody yesterday about these companies that produce these guns. I mean, I, I find it, I don't know, maybe this is just the the, the empathy that I have, I guess, or I, how do people work at these companies? Like, I, I, I don't know if you've, you've read the book by Ryan Bussey. He just put out a book. He was- Ryan Bussey is a former gun industry executive who it's it's very it's a good read and he chronicles how the industry changed and how he watched it unfold and how he eventually had to resign because he was so disgusted by um, the guns everywhere mentality, regardless of the implications that that what gun industry manufacturers were, were pushing would have on the society and in fact democracy right. Um, I don't know. I don't know how they sleep at night. I guess, you know, money and power are such powerful motivators. And, and as I said, there are some people who truly have drunk the Kool-Aid and, and believe the, the gun lobby lies. But you, you, I'm sorry, but if you, you manufacture an AR-15 gun, these are the guns that are constantly in almost every one of these attacks. Those are the guns that are used. And I, I guess I saw something today about uh, the manufacturer of the gun that was used in Uvalde. They have an ad with a toddler holding a semi-automatic rifle. And I mean, it's the most obscene. Can you imagine 
by the way, doing that with, with alcohol, with cigarettes, with any product that kills people, it's, it's sort of unimaginable to me. Um, as you said, it's totemic, right? It's a cultural signifier. Exactly. It has become patriotic. Exactly. Um, and I look, I, I, I give up. I think it's hard to hope people have a conscience. <laughs> I've been in politics too long and especially the last seven years uh, to hope people's conscience will allow them to do the right thing. But it is it is sort of an amazing thing to me that this continues to happen. And I, I want to make at one point, Steve Zulo brings up this point about the Supreme Court. There is a case coming up. We should this should be decided soon that it's going to make the situation worse on concealed carry. Correct. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, so the, the case that has been brought at the Supreme Court um, is has been brought by an NRA affiliate. Every single state in this country has a version of the NRA that is state specific, many of them to the right of the NRA. Um, this is their, their affiliate in New York, and they're challenging the way permits are given. And it's been a pretty high bar to get a permit and to be able to carry a gun in public in the state of New York, which is why it has one of the lowest rates of gun violence in the country. What a surprise. Yeah. Right. And so what they want to do is loosen that, make it much easier. Um, but there are about seven other states that have similar laws to New York. So a quarter of all people in America will be impacted. And, and we're talking about uh, going to uh, an environment where either there are guns everywhere on subways, for example, or there are metal detectors everywhere. And we live in sort of this, you know, bizarre police state where we're constantly being going through security. Right. Even Alito in his arguments was sort of arguing for more guns on subways. And uh, I am I'm concerned about the outcome. But again, that doesn't say, oh, then we're screwed. It's OK. How do we then go into states and tighten permitting regulations? How do we go into states and increase safety and training requirements? Right. Do we embark on signage campaigns? I mean, we got hundreds of businesses to put up signage after the state legislators there allowed open and uh, concealed carry without a permit. And in fact, an NRA board member said, I wish we'd never passed this law because now I can't take my gun anywhere because all these signs are up. Interesting, interesting. I mean, look, I have to say, I'll be honest with you, I live, I live in New York. Um, I live in, in Brooklyn. Uh, people don't carry guns in public here, uh, thankfully. But when I travel around the country, I, I to red states, it, it concerns me, you know, that that the idea that people could be carrying a concealed weapon. And by the way, in a lot of states, and you, we, I wrote about this recently um, with some help, research help from you guys, that uh, concealed carry laws, no license to carry a concealed weapon in a lot of states in this country. It's insane that that's allowed to happen, but it does. And, you know, as someone mentions on my comments uh, on, on last piece I wrote about this, that you talk to foreigners who don't want to come to America. And I have a, I have a, um, a sister-in-law who doesn't want to live in America largely because she worries about guns in the, in the United States. And I think it's, it's interesting how we're seen around the world for this. I mean, I think, and understandably so as a country obsessed with guns. Uh, it, makes, yeah. it makes a difference. I mean, we saw college enrollment, international college enrollment drop um, in Texas after they passed some of their more lax gun laws. So it does impact us economically, uh, reputationally. Other countries think we're absolutely insane, you know, especially our peer nations. Right. When, when the mass shooting happened in Dunblane, uh, in New Zealand, um, also, and in um, Australia, I mean, all those countries acted immediately because they felt it was more important to have safe citizens than to have easy access to guns. And it was sort of this collective compassion that we seem to lack as a country. Yeah, I think that, or, or yes. And I, but I think it's also, as I said before, I think it's also the sense of powerlessness. I think 
Look, again, I, I hope that this is different for reasons that the main reason it will save lives. But I think it's also that people need to believe that their legislators and their leaders take this issue seriously and will do something about it. it. It is there is something so deflating about seeing these horrible tragedies occur and then nothing changing. You know, I think that's the part that's difficult. But, but, but nothing at a federal level. I want right, to be clear that right. so much has changed downstream. Exactly. And I th- and I always tell that to people. I mean, I say I always say I, I use your guys' talking points. I say, look, a lot of stuff does happen that you don't see. And the fact that there has been a I mean, look, I hate the New York Yankees. I live in New York. I hate the New York Yankees. With a I hate them more than communism. Just hate them, hate them. But yesterday they at Tampa Bay Rays use their Twitter feeds, not to post baseball updates, but to post facts about gun violence in America. And God bless them. I mean, I, I applaud them for this. That is an extraordinary thing to do. They're taking a side in a contentious issue, and that's the right thing to do. The Miami Heat, uh, before the game, game five of the uh, NBA uh, Eastern Conference Finals, came out and said, we need to do more on gun violence. They weren't, they weren't playing both sides. They were, t- they were taking a stand. I think you need to see more of that. And I see that kind of thing, and it makes me, it's very gratifying. Um, I know you have to go. I want to let you out of here, but I just want to ask one other thing about, uh, well, I'll, I'll, let you, I'll just say this. I think one thing I hope you take away from this is there are, there is reason for optimism. There's reason for hope that you have to, there's reason, there's things you can do. And I think one thing you can do is join Moms Demand Action, get those red t-shirts, go out, wear them, advocate, advocate at the state level. There's a lot here that we can do. And I, 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 I just say as a personal note, Shannon, I, I, I find you very, what you, work you do very inspirational. Uh, I really do, uh, because this issue is something that I have written about a lot, and I and I just it affects me on a visceral level. And when I see people who are willing to get involved and make a difference, it's a it's a wonderful thing. So thank you for all the work that you do on behalf of this issue. It means a, I know you probably uh, get a lot of abuse for this, but I hope that you get some praise too, because it means a lot of people like me who care a lot about this issue. So thank you. Well, thank you for caring about it. Yeah, of course. Uh, I'm going to stay on for people who want to keep talking, but I'm going to let Shannon go because she's been, you know, she has other people to talk to. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Um, And everyone else wants to stay on, please stay on. Thanks. Thanks, Dan, Shannon. Uh, That was great. Uh, That was really interesting. And I'm really glad for you guys stuck around for that. And I do want to, you know, just if anybody has any, I I asked this on the, on the, um, my newsletter a few days ago about people want to talk about how they feel about what's going on here. And I think it is one of these issues that, I wrote, it's funny, I wrote a piece on Monday about how sometimes it's really hard to write about the, about politics in America. I was writing about this death penalty case in the Supreme Court basically said that an innocent man could be sentenced to, uh, to die even if there's good evidence of his, of his innocence. Um, and I wrote that piece and I wrote this whole thing about how even though I get outraged, I have to sort of mine that outrage into, into the work that I do. And I swear to God, I published that piece, it was like an hour later that this story comes out of Uvalde, Texas. And it was a reminder, and, and it's hard to keep going. And I just look at someone like Shannon and I look at the work that's being done at a local level as, as really inspiration that, that, that we should not give up hope as much as it makes sense to do so considering how little seems to change. Um, and I hope that, that people take away from that idea. I also hope that you find a way to, to deal with this crisis and, 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 and compartmentalize and understand it and, and not get too depressed by it. Because I think there are this is the kind of moment that, it, as a parent especially, um, it's really hard. I found, I, I wrote this yesterday about how I can't, when they, I was walking in my bodega this morning, I go there like five times a day, but I walked in there and the Daily News had a picture of all those beautiful faces from Uvalde, Texas, and I couldn't, I couldn't look, you know, I, I can't look at it. it. It's like, it's too much for me. I mean, I'm getting almost emotional right now talking about it. It's too much for me. 
though I, I think of my children and then of course your mind goes in all kinds of different places and you just have to stop. And I think it's important also to remember that uh, we all have our limits and how much we can handle and talk about this issue because it is incredibly difficult, incredibly painful. Um, but anybody would like to, you know, just add a thought here. I, I um, you know, Larry Simon makes the point here. I have a nephew and niece in Berlin. He says they want to go to college in the States, but no longer due to guns, ongoing destruction of democracy. I mean, I, I, you know, I, I said before, I have this cousin who, uh, a cousin, sorry, <laughs> uh, sister-in-law who doesn't want to come to America because of gun violence. I mean, that's what she sees. Um, and, you know, I, I feel this way. I wonder if others feel this way too. When I travel outside of New York in, in, in places where guns are much more prevalent, you know, I, I worry about it. I worry, I, I, it sounds crazy because I know that uh, the chance of dying, I tell this to my kids, chance of, of your, having happening in your school is, is infinitesimally small. But that's, that's why this stuff is so awful because it's terrorizing. It's like terrorism. Um, yeah, I think, Sue, I think you were saying collateral, right? Where your children considered, well, maybe you said collateral, collateral damage. I mean, you're right. I, you would think death of children would lead people to actually want to create change. Uh, Jack asked the question, do you ask about civil disobedience or other actions? No, I actually, I didn't have a chance to ask that, Jack. It's a great question. Walkouts and strikes. I mean, I kind of want to see that because I want to see people have an outlet to, to, uh, for, their, for their outrage or outlet for their despondency about this. Um, you know, you did have in 27, after the um, Marjorie Stoneman Douglas sh shooting, you had the um, March, how was it? March, um, um, I'm forgetting the name of it. Uh, March of Life or March of, what I, I remember what it was called. Um, March for and, Our Lives. March for Our Lives. Thank you, Jack. Thank you, Jack Lerner. Um, and that, you know, did lead to some important changes in, in Florida, at least initially, red flag laws raising the age on long guns, although as, as Shannon points out, that has shifted in the other direction because of Governor DeSantis. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, look, I think more of that is necessary. I mean, I, look, here's the thing about this issue that I think you can't, you really have to make clear that nothing changes until the politics of this change, right? Until Republicans actually see some political downside to being so obstinate on gun rights, they're not gonna change their perspective. I think we know that. And so the extent to which you can, voters can make them pay a price, can say your position on gun rights means I'm voting for the other person. And somebody actually loses an election because of the gun issue. That's when you see change. That unfortunately has not happened very often. And I, I thought, you know, the Mark Pryor example is a good one. Mark Pryor is a Democrat. He voted, um, he had to get A from the NRA A rating. And yet in 2014, NRA basically put all their, their chips on, on Tom Cotton and he lost. Um, Mark Rose is a great point. Most people cannot sustain focus and attention on political issues. It's not their core competencies, not their profession. Uh, you're right. That's a great point. That's why it's so hard to get, although, you know, uh, the NRA is able to do it. And they're able to keep their small cohort of people who are pro-gun mobilized and active on this issue. Um, and we haven't seen the same thing on the left. And Mosby in action is great. They have more members of the NRA. But they don't have the same kind of persuasive, persuasive capabilities that the NRA seems to have. Because I don't, think, I don't think gun control has become, it hasn't become like abortion is on the left for Democrats. Like abortion is one of these issues where you have consensus across the party where um, it is it is sort of a third rail issue. I don't think guns have have hap 
the same way on the left. You've seen a lot more engagement on this issue and a lot more Democrats will, I mean, I, I can't make this point enough. This is why you should be optimistic because Democrats, 20 years ago, Al Gore would refuse to run on, on gun control when he ran for president. You know, now every Democrat who runs has to be supporting background checks, has to support a solid weapons ban. It, it's the price of entry, like, it, like being pro-choice. That's a huge change. Um, that's the change. Uh, uh, and that's something that gives me optimism for the future. The, no, the knowledge that you can shift political attitudes on this. You can shift a political party. I mean, John Tester is a Montana Democrat. Um, gun ownership is very popular in Montana. But John Tester has not backed away from supporting gun control legislation. Fucking Joe Manchin, who, you know, he's an asshole. I'll say that. But... He did, he did co-sponsor background checks bill, mentioned to me. He did co-sponsor that. Got 54, 55 votes in the, um, in the Senate in 2013 or 14, I believe it was. Um, he's been good on this issue before he won't get rid of the filibuster, which makes him kind of an asshole. Uh, Ian asked, how can they say it's not the guns when two AT drills just got legally obtained AR-15s? And I think Shannon made the point, and I, I, it's exactly right. Once you say it is about the guns, then the floodgates open. And so Republicans will never say it's about the guns, ever, ever. They'll never say that there's irresponsibility with gun ownership or you know, it could lead to irresponsible behavior because to do so would be to acknowledge that you need gun control. So they're never gonna say it. Um, and how they make these comments a straight face, I have no idea. Um, Sue McCauley says, a candidate means we need to ask hard questions to candidates about firearm bills like safe storage and red flag legislation. Agree with you, Lily Sue. And, you know, to, just to pick up your point, and it's a great point, Sue, and I agree with you, but it's a question of, on a local level, making this issue a make or break issue for you. And look, a lot of people, I live in Brooklyn, I mean, you know, you're not gonna find people who are, who are NRA supporters, for the most part, running for office in, in New York. But a lot of places in this country, if you, you know, I, I grew up in Bucks County, Pennsylvania, uh, if there's a state legislative candidate there, you know, if you if this is important, is this, this issue is important enough to you, then you make this issue important enough that you say, I'm going to vote for the for the person who is pro gun control, who's supporting safe storage and red flag legislation. It has to be for look for, for NRA types, for pro gun types, that is their make or break issue, right? They're not going to vote for somebody who, who, who as an F from the NRA. So, you know, gun control supporters should do the same thing when it comes to people who have an A from the NRA. I'm not going to vote for them. Um, uh, let me see who I'm else. Uh, there's some other comments here. Somebody talks about the marketing issue. And I think that's a big part of it as well. Um, should the army focus on safety? Uh, Larry says, should the army focus on security and safety? And I, you know, I think, Shannon didn't correct me, but I think generally the, the gun control folks prefer gun safety than gun control. I mean, control has a, kind of has a, has a ominous, you know, notion to it, but gun safety, I mean, different. Um, you know, I've always, I, I remember going, asking her or someone from, from every town, which is an organization affiliated with Moms Demand, why there's not more public education around guns. Um, you know, why, you know, I would make, I always tell people this, this stat, I, I bring it up all the time. If you own, if you own a gun, if you purchase a gun and bring it into your home, you have often people do that for protection. 
you have substantially increased the possibility that someone in that home will die from a gun. Substantially increased it. The mere presence of a gun in a home increases the likelihood of gun violence. And I just wish that there was more um, advocacy around that point, more public education, the knowledge that you think you're protecting yourself, you're not. You're actually putting yourself in more danger by having a gun in your home. And the evidence in this is sort of is, is overwhelming. Um, but uh, to go back to Sue's point, is exactly right. The local action is really important. I think, and I want to make this point really, really clear. I think it's really hugely important that federal action is a lagging indicator. That happens at the end of a process. Think of the civil rights movement. Think of how many things happened on the civil rights movement before the Senate and the House got involved. Right? They're the ones usually at the end of the process. If you want real change, then you need to do it at the local level. And she's right, by the way, about they've really done a good job at stopping some of these more odious bills. And you've had red flag laws placed, you know, in, in certain states. You've had, um, uh, oh, uh, she didn't mention this, but I know this is a big one. Domestic violence is a big one that um, I think in South Carolina, they pass a law, for example, if you're charged with a domestic violence or, or maybe, it's, maybe it's convicted, you lose access to, to guns because there's such a, such a correlation between domestic violence and, and, and gun violence. So there are things that can be done. Um, yeah, Ron Irving um, mentions the David Waldman who tweets each of these in-house family shootings and, and toddlers and parents. And I, you know, it's, I don't think he does it as much anymore as he used to. He used to a lot. And I remember just reading so many of these cases and just having to step away from it because it's, um, you'd read about children finding a gun and shooting themselves. You read about children finding a gun and shooting an adult or shooting their friend. Um, it happens all the time. You know, I remember I wrote a piece once about um, uh, as a, a kid in, in, I think it was, maybe it was Missouri, I can't remember exactly the state, um, who uh, turned 18, had a birthday party, showing his gun to a friend, went off, killed his friend. He was so distraught, took the gun and shot himself. I mean, that only happens in America. And it's the stuff that just, you read it and you just, you, you wanna just get away from the world. Um, Steve says the NRA used to have safe gun training. Uh, you, you're a rifle re-archery instructor, interesting, in Somerset, Pennsylvania. Um, you think the NRA would jump at the chance to give the gun safety courses to those who wanna own a gun? I mean, I think the NRA does do a lot of gun safety stuff actually. Um, which is good. The problem is they do a lot of stuff um, on uh, marketing and selling guns. And don't forget, by the way, that, that the NRA is basically an adjunct adjacent to the gun manufacturing industry. That one of the reasons why they promote ownership is because they get a lot of support from gun manufacturers. So a lot of what they're doing, when I said marketing before, one of the big things that happens here is that there's a huge connection between uh, NRA's position and also wanting to sell guns so, to, to help gun manufacturers. Uh, Ian asked about the impact of the conservative Supreme Court on potential legislation where in California law was struck down. I, the, the, the New York case, the concealed carry case is the one that really scares me actually, um, because it's going to make it harder for states to put in licensing requirements on concealed carry. Look, uh, if the, if the court rules in the wrong way, I'm sure they will. And I want to remind people that, you know, Supreme Court in Heller said basically endorsed the idea of restrictions on gun ownership. Scalia, I believe Scalia wrote the opinion. 
I think he was in the majority, maybe. He was supportive of it. Heller versus DC basically says, yeah, you know, states should be able to, to set standards by gun ownership. Um, but this court may eviscerate that. Uh, look, I don't know. And it's a good question. I, I think you're likely to see the court come down with a bad decision on concealed carry in New York. Um, but part of me thinks that the solution here is to convince states you know, or take care of previous cases. That's a good point, Ian. Exactly. Um, comes down to, you know, Florida is, is debating a concealed carry law right now. I don't think it passed. Um, these laws are so odious. They basically allow people to carry a concealed weapon without a permit. I mean, I want you to imagine any of the scenario which someone could carry um, a deadly weapon without a permit. They're like turning them to cops, basically. Um, and I wrote about this about a month ago about, you know, it's a six-year-old girl who was killed by because a, a guy was concealed carry was trying to was got robbed at an ATM and shot shot at the person who had robbed him and and of course missed and killed a six-year-old girl in the van. These things happen all the time in America. I mean, we have you know extraordinary levels of gun violence. And I, I want to make the point also that you're not gonna all these gun violence measures are not going to end gun violence in America. They're just not. You're always going to have gun violence in this country. It's always going to be higher than every other country in the world. Um, but, you know, look, Ian made the point about these 18-year-olds buying AR-15s. Look, if we had a law in this country, federal law, that said you had to be 21 years old um, to purchase a long gun, neither one of those guys could have bought those guns. Neither one, and maybe you save 29 lives. I mean, I would pass, you know, that's enough for me. I mean, I'd like to save more lives, but if I could save 29 precious lives, yeah, let's do that. Um, and yeah, I mean, and you said you can't get drunk at 21, but you can have a machine gun. Um, well, you can get drunk at 21, you can get drunk at 20 or 19 or 18, but you can buy a machine gun, uh, semi-automatic. Um, and of course, in the case of this shooter in Buffalo, he bought a kit, $50, uh, $40, $50, allowed him to modify the gun, turn it, um, so you could fire more quickly. Uh, high, uh, uh, what's the word? Magazines are restricted in New York by how many gun, I mean, how large magazine you can have for a gun. He bought a kit to modify. So he could, I, I maybe bought it from out of state, I think it was. Uh, high capacity, thank you very much, Mark. High capacity magazine. So yeah, you know, there there are ways around this. And, and, and uh, but look, I, I didn't realize in New York that you could buy a long gun at 18, you know? And I'm going to call my state legislator and say, why the hell is that law in effect? We should have a 21 in the state, as it should be in every state in this country. Um, I was really struck by what Shannon said about 21% of all gun crimes committed by kids from the age of 18 and 21, men mostly. Um, limit, I mean, I, I don't know if it's still true, but I remember I, I couldn't rent a car until I was 26. <laughs> remember that? Couldn't rent a car until you're 26? How the fuck can you buy a gun if you're not make the, the law for guns? You can't buy a gun until you're 26. I have no problem with that. I mean, eight when I was 18, I, Mark knows. Mark probably remembers when I was 18, we went to college together. When I was 18, 19, or 20, I was a schmuck. I should have owned a gun. That's the worst thing imaginable. I shouldn't, I shouldn't, I shouldn't even own one now. I mean, definitely don't want to own one now, but my God. I mean, oh, you, you were a cool dude, dude, Mike. You you weren't a schmuck. You were a one classy dude. <laughs> 
that's very kind of you to say, Mark. I appreciate that. It's not really true, but I appreciate you saying that. Uh, uh, Jack Lerner, who might still be here, he needs to be that age also. He, he's not here anymore, but he confirmed that, was, that I might have been a little bit of a schmuck. Anyway, point being, Mark, I think you'd agree. I it wouldn't have been a good thing if we had had guns back then, right? At Lowell Street with guns would have been a bad would have been a bad move. I have a feeling. Uh, anyway, listen, I'm gonna. I think we're gonna finish up here. If anybody else has any more comments or questions, please let me know. Um, I actually have to jump off soon. I'm gonna do a bunch of Canadian television today. Uh, we're talking more about this. Uh, th yes, Peter, thank you so much for doing that. I mentioned um, um, Moms Demand Action, but there, right there. Let me look at the chat. Text join to 644-33 to join Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. Yes, do that. And I will tell you this, I'm, I, I'm, this is true. I remember being in Tennessee, ever around the country, and these people are amazing. The red shirts, they, they're all these uh, democratic events. They're mobilizing on behalf of gun rights. If you live any, anywhere in this country, you live in a red state, uh, you live in a blue state, you live in a purple state, uh, get involved in the local level. You know, I'm going to... Just on a personal level, I am going to make sure that I call my my representatives in, in Albany and say I want the law changed when it comes to long gun ownership. Um, <laughs> my mother just said she was nodding along about my comments when I was 18 years old. Thanks, mom. Uh, too many people, too many people on, this, on this chat knew me when I was 18 years old. I'm a little concerned about that, actually. That's, that's very concerning to me. Um, it is an 18 year old. Ian says, if you could, you'd mount them to your car. Maybe, maybe. Anyway, listen, um, do what Peter says, do what he says, text mom's demand action, get involved. Don't lose hope. I'm, I, uh, you know, this is a long process to change the, the, the laws of the country on, on gun, on gun ownership. Um, but we have a part that we can all play. Um, you know, I'll just say one more thing. I remember when I was, when I, when kids were a lot younger, I'd go over to friends' houses. I'd say, I'd always ask, do you have a gun in your home? If you do, I want it to make sure it's locked up. I don't want it in a safe. You know, your small part to make clear that that your feelings on this issue and, and, and that this matters to you and that you don't want to be your children around something like that. Um, teach your kids, obviously, when it comes to to, to gun violence and, and hug them and kiss them, because I did that a lot this week. Um, after what happened on Tuesday. Anyway, thanks, Mark, for those kind words. Thank you for joining. It's always a pleasure to have everybody here. This is what makes this newsletter so much enjoyable for me. Thank you, Shannon, of course, for being here. Um, and everyone have a wonderful weekend. And I will see you, um, I'll see you next Friday. Thanks so much, guys. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye.